Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. First episode of Monday Madness for the month of August. Crazy year we've had so far. And once we get through this month, I think we'll be two-thirds of the way through. So let's keep it moving. Big things happening. I'm finally into a new place, ready to start up a new chapter, keep working hard, keep doing whatever I can do to be involved in this industry. And what I can do is give you the best oil and gas content you can find on this side of the internet. So let's continue to grow together and let's see what we can do to get that cutting edge by the time it comes back for all all of us to compete for a whole bunch of different jobs when oil prices do improve. But speaking of oil price, WTI today, $40.27, took a little bit of a dip last week, but nothing too crazy that we haven't seen in the past couple of months. I'm kind of impressed that it stayed at $40 for so long, but like I said, we can probably attribute that to the vast oversupply we had stored when everyone was buying up this commodity when it was oh so cheap. So as people continue to sell that, that's probably going to keep the price pretty low. So we'll see how long that goes on for. But there was a big, big drawdown. Right at the end of last week, there was a 10.6 million barrel drawdown which brings us to 526 million barrels within the U.S. alone, according to the EIA. This was the biggest drawdown, and this is a key indicator in terms of a market that's starting to move more aggressively into balance, which we've already seen with prices, but that's starting to reflect within the inventories as well. So those things looking good, but rig count, not looking bad, I'll say. Not looking good, not looking bad. We're at 251 as of the last count, which is the same as the week before, the week prior, but we are down 691 this time last year. So in terms of the short term, could be worse. In terms of the long term, it's worse. And then quarterly earnings are also coming out as well. Just real quick, posted earnings for the second quarter have not looked this bad in a long time. Shell reported an $18 billion loss. Total and Chevron followed the lead at $8 billion each, and ConocoPhillips only lost $1 billion. Kind of strange to say only reported a quarterly loss of $1 billion, but I suppose these are strange times to begin with. Many others plan to report their earnings in the next few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled, but that's about all those quick stats I want to hit you with just to get you up to speed. Set the mood for this week. Going into our first story, Occidental will probably be one of those companies you want to keep your eyes on in terms of earnings. The earnings will come soon, but they are discussing a huge asset sale at the moment. There are talks to generate about $4.5 billion in sales in order to alleviate some of the debt that Oxy has collected by purchasing Anadarko at probably one of the most inopportune times ever. I really do feel bad for them. The assets are primarily in Africa and the Middle East, as it seems Oxy would like to direct most of its efforts towards domestic properties, even though they seem to have their plate full with that alone. Indonesian national oil company, PT Bertamina, is currently in negotiations with Oxy. Bertamina is pushing to buy the aforementioned assets along with some in Algeria and Oman, but it seems that they could be asking just a bit too much with that. I'm curious to see the earnings that Occidental post to see why they're making this deal. I mean, not everyone else is faring so well, as we heard at the start of the podcast. Their losses, or, in the unlikely case, gains, We'll determine whether these are being sold to put the cash into more profitable projects elsewhere, or maybe just to keep them afloat as uh, restructuring looms in the distance. I'd wager it's probably the more grim of the two, as financial benchmarks show that Oxy, at the moment, is truly hurting. Their stock fell 17.5% in the last month alone, 
We'll let you know if any further developments happen to Oxy, but they're big enough that who knows, you might hear before I can tell you. Keeping to the sort of grim theme that we've seen with the news so far this episode, I'd like to talk about the incredible men and women who support the oil industry within Texas. The Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association, which can be shortened down to TIPRO, released a mid-year energy report. According to the report, 321,455 Texans were directly employed within the sector during the first half of this year, which is down 39,514 from 2019. In order of the greatest to the least affected, the subsectors affected do include service, drilling, and machinery manufacturing. After some national consolidation in response to the coronavirus, Texas became responsible for 40%, 40% of all oil and gas jobs within the United States in the first half of 2020. The average wage for these jobs was about $134,000, leading to an annual payroll of $43 billion, which is only down about $400 million compared to the last year. But again, there is some fiscal delay in response to the virus, so the second half year report will likely look a lot worse. But I do want to circle back to that annual payroll number I mentioned. $43 billion. That number is absolutely massive in magnitude. Consider this. Chevron had a market valuation of $136 billion as of March this year. Granted, that is a little lower than usual thanks to the start of the coronavirus, but that is only three times greater than the $43 billion that oil industry workers rake in in Texas alone. These are tough times, and people are hurting. So much of the money that is generated in circles around our country, it, federal and state in some cases, is based around mineral extraction. So it is very important that we find a solution to the high number of unemployed individuals. For the next segment, I encourage you to go to rarepetro.com at the top of the website bar, there's a news polls tab, and if you drop down to periodicals, you can read the periodical that Kevin, uh, one of the associates here at Rare Petro, Kevin Olson, wrote called The True Cost of Renewable Energy. I think it will establish a lot of background information for the rest of this story, so go ahead and pause the podcast, head over to there, subscribe to the content, and I'll be right here once you've finished. If you don't have the time to fully read the periodical, we definitely have an audio format available that I think was our last episode released. So, give it a listen. Alrighty, finished? Great. Let's get into this next segment. This comes from an article titled, Could Deep Sea Mining Fuel the Electric Vehicle Boom? Basically, I'll give you a quick rundown. From what you learned and listened in that last podcast, the renewable energy we have is rather linear in terms of life cycle, and a lot of it gets wasted, and the processing is really harmful. Right now, a lot of energy and battery systems that are green rely on cobalt, but cobalt has attracted more and more attention worldwide because it has very unsafe working conditions and labor rights abuses, as not much happens in the United States that way, but a lot of this mining comes out of, what, the Congo, Russia, China, a lot of places that aren't North America outside of some deposits in Canada. New battery technologies are under development with reduced or zero cobalt content, but it is not yet determined how fast and how much these technologies and circular economy innovations can decrease overall cobalt demand. I want to pause on that keyword circular. In contrast to the linear that I mentioned earlier, a lot of these solutions try to reuse the battery and put as little waste back into the ground, dumps, whatever as possible. Unfortunately, people don't want to wait. There's been such a huge push for green energy worldwide that we have two options. 
Option number one, wait until these technologies are developed so that we can better take advantage of green batteries that are circular and life cycle and produce as little waste as possible. Or two, stick to our mixed green and conventional portfolio and continue to move forward and plunge into the depths of the sea to mine a lot of these rare earth minerals. It really boils down to how quickly do you want it, long-term versus short-term. Do we wait to develop a better solution, or do we go right now, tear up the bottom of the ocean, destroy a bunch of ecosystems and habitats to get green energy? It's kind of funny to talk about this because the oil and gas industry for years has been targeted with lots of accusations, ranging from a little bit of brine spillage to encroaching on natural habitats to gas leaking up in annulus and polluting waterways. Of course, these things do happen, but the industry does work their best to mitigate it. Unfortunately, green energy is so backed by, well, I don't want to say only propaganda, but investors that really don't care how it's done, as the narrative is a little bit different. I wonder how upset people will be when we begin to ravage the oceans. I mean, granted, it's far from us, and we don't make it down there often, but we don't really know what the effects are. With oil and gas, we kind of understand what's going on, but with a lot of this green technology... I can't imagine that bits of cobalt floating around the ocean or refinery waste and mining waste are any good for the animals down there. So all I'm saying, do your best to stay informed. Green technology is great. It's definitely the future of a balanced portfolio, but this definitely builds on the last segment and really highlights, well, rather than saying how easy, um, quote unquote, renewable energies have it, how much pushback there is for oil and gas. But I think that is about the most significant stuff I have for the past week. Technology advancements moving to take advantage of the ocean, lots of job cuts, and lots of bad quarterly postings. Not the happiest week I've reported on so far, but be sure to subscribe because there are good things coming. It's only a matter of time. That's how these booms and busts work. So until I see you next time, take care, everybody.